Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Financial Classroom Podcast. This is episode five that you're listening to. I'm your host, Will, and with me on the other side of the mic is Tim. Hey, everyone. We've got Jackson Brayling back with us, and this time he's going to talk with us a little bit about retirement and pensions. Thanks for joining us again, Jackson. Can you just refresh our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I had said on the last one we did, I'm an advisor at Asante. I did my bachelor's in business in minute at the U of R, the Hill School of Business, majored in finance. Since then, I did all my securities licensing and just recently finished the chartered investment manager designation. I'm now pursuing my certified financial planner designation, so my CFP. Got a couple other industry designations on tap, I'll likely do, and then do my master's in business too. So lots of textbooks ahead. Awesome. Well, Jackson, last episode, we didn't touch on too much about your upbringing and how you came to doing what you're doing now. So would you like to just kind of touch on that? Like, were you always kind of in the investment world? For the listeners out there, his dad is also a financial advisor with the Asante Wealth Management Firm. So would you just like to touch on that? For sure. So like you said, I grew up in a house where my dad's financially savvy naturally because of his job. <laughs> so I obviously had exposure probably to a lot of things that normal kids wouldn't have. I could ask him pretty much any question I could think of and he would be able to give me a good answer. So I've always been inclined to pursue business. I didn't necessarily always want to work in finance growing up, but I'd say by the time I hit high school, I kind of figured out that finance was the route I wanted to go. So then when I went to university, I knew from day one, I was going to major in finance. And from there, I was able to determine that getting into wealth management was the route I wanted to pursue. So I love working with people. Like that's honestly what gets me up in the morning. The fact that I get to deal with people and money and investing and all that (laughs) good stuff. It's perfect because it's all the things I love. So I really love my job and it's really cool that I get to work with my dad. I've always had a really good relationship with him. So it's been awesome kind of having him and a couple other advisors as mentors at Asante and it's helped me avoid a lot of rookie mistakes that I think advisors can make in their early years just because I have so many veterans around me that are helping me succeed. Right. So that's been really good. Very cool. Yeah. So you mentioned that working with people is one of your favorite parts about your job. What are some of the other draws that you find towards being a wealth advisor and what really pushed you into pursuing this career or what made you want to decide to go into it? So obviously my dad had some influence on that. I mean, he never ever pushed me in any way to pursue the job. It was completely my own decision. I considered a handful of different careers while I was going through university. Like I had other job offers at other places. I just I knew this is what I wanted to do. I, I've always known that part of me wanted to work with my dad just because we had a good relationship. And it just so happened that he works in finance and business. So it ended up working out really good. But yeah, I mean, outside of people and being able to work with families and individuals every day and help them achieve goals, I love dealing with money. And I think the stock market's super interesting. I love the planning aspect of the job, helping people make sure they don't run out of money and make smart financial decisions and help them build their net worth. It's a very fulfilling job when you have clients who are willing to work with you and want to cooperate and actually listen to you. You can do a lot of good for someone. So it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. So Jackson, in North America, a lot of families, finances or money talk is very taboo. Mm -hmm. Did you find that in your family? 
No, I wouldn't say that my parents necessarily initiate a conversation all the time, but if I ever had questions, they would definitely answer them. Yeah. So I was a fairly inquisitive kid, I guess. So I asked lots of questions. <laughs> so I got lots of answers. So that was good. But no, I have no memory of my parents ever being like, oh, no, that's not something we talk about. Like they were always pretty honest. So Okay. That's awesome. That's super good to know. Cause I think with money talk being so taboo, I think it is not healthy. And I think yeah, I families need to talk about finances more and money more. So, yeah, I mean, in our job, like I see parents who die and their kids have no idea what the parents have. They're kind of left trying to pick up the pieces and figure out how to deal with the estate. Mm-hmm. So communicating that stuff as a family is extremely important. Like the transition of wealth generation to generation is something that's going to obviously continue to take place and take place in very big ways with a baby boomer generation starting mm-hmm. to die off in the yeah. next couple of years. So I'm sure there will be a lot of people who wish their parents had given them some warning on how things are going to shake out when they pass. <laughs> yeah. So you talked about how your dad is also working at the firm and how you've got a good relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So are there a couple of things that he kind of taught you growing up that have really stuck with you about finances or did he teach you to invest growing up or anything like that? Saving? Yeah. Yeah. My parents always encouraged me to save for sure. My dad really encouraged me to figure stuff out on my own. Like I think just because I have him doesn't mean that he's just gonna give me the easy way out on everything. It's like, if you want to know, like, why don't you go research it and figure it out yourself? So I definitely did that. I read a lot of things and obviously went to university and got educated in it. But yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, it seems that he taught you the importance of saving, but then he also allowed you to be independent. He also encouraged you to be curious about investing, to be curious about finances and to get your feet wet yourself instead of just trying to absorb it through proximity. Like kind of get your feet wet, right? Yeah, like in university when he knew I was going to pursue a career in wealth management, he encouraged me to kind of like, okay, well, why don't you start investing and do your own thing and start getting a handle on it? So when I was in university, I actually, I was a part of your investing, it's called. So it's a student-led investment where we, we handled like... It was like one and a half million of the university's dollars. So I got like hands-on experience there investing, which is really cool. So you'd have to do like stock recommendations. And that was really, really good practical experience. I also had like my own self-directed account where I did some trading and buying and selling stocks. And I also, I owned a couple of mutual funds at one point too. So I tried kind of everything. I bought ETF stocks, mutual funds. So I kind of know how it all works literally firsthand because I bought all of it myself. But yeah, I mean, my dad's guidance is invaluable for sure. Right. Definitely. Speaking of investing, we're here to talk about retirement. So I think we'll get into that. So just to start off, I mean, I know we asked you last episode, when should we start investing? It's only natural to start off our conversation. When should we start saving for retirement? Whenever you can. I mean, if you're working, you possibly have a pension. So you're being forced to save for retirement. But as soon as you can is the best answer I can give you. There's no better time than now. Okay. So you mentioned about pension there. So if I'm someone who has a pension through work Mm -hmm. and in Canada, for if there's American listeners out there, we have something called the RRSB Mm -hmm. and it's basically the 401k in the States. And so if I already have a pension through work, why should I also put money into an RRSB? To supplement your retirement income. So depending on what kind of pension you have, I don't know if we're going to get into that later. So maybe I'll leave it for right now, but. 
I mean, now's a great time to just yeah. talk about it a little bit. Sure. So kind of the two major pension plans that people get are a defined benefit and a defined contribution. So a defined benefit plan is it's more common with like government workers who would have these. They're kind of a dying type of pension. They're not offered really in the private world anymore. Defined contribution is much more popular in the private world. But a defined benefit is just that. It defines your benefits. So whether that's your best three years salary, you get 75% of that or something every year indexed to inflation till the day you die, then that's what it is. There are different ways of calculating a defined benefit for the retirees in a plan and it varies plan to plan, but basically you know exactly what you're going to get every year. Whereas in a defined contribution, you accumulate all of the dollars through years of work. And then when you retire, you have a big lump sum of money and you get to decide what to do with it. So you theoretically could spend it all in one year and be broke, but you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but you would have the flexibility to. Like in a defined benefit plan, you just get X amount of dollars a year. In a defined contribution, you get, say, a million dollars. And it's like, okay, this needs to last you until you die. That makes Puts sense. the responsibility on you. Yeah. yeah. So to kind of veer off from defined contribution where you have a pot of money there that if you run out, you're out. How much money should somebody save for retirement? What is that pot? the ideal number that you think people should have, or is there an ideal number? No. So there isn't necessarily a perfect number to have. I think individual to individual, it changes because some people might want to travel. Some people may not want to. Some people are retiring single. Some people are retiring married. Some people have grandkids. Some people don't. It's very, very situational. And that's a very big reason to use an advisor because one leading up to retirement, it's, good to have projections and figure out how much money you can live on every year. And if you want to live on a certain amount every month, you can actually plan for that to ensure that you can hit it and can actually achieve that lifestyle in retirement. But two, by the time you're in retirement, ensuring that you don't run out of money living a lifestyle that you can't afford. So to answer your question, no, there's not a perfect number, but if you have a number that you want to hit, you have to plan ahead of time to do it. It's not like when you're 60, that's not the time to figure out how much money you need to retire. It's a moving number probably throughout the rest of your life, kind of figuring out as inflation factors in and things change. Mm -hmm. And I think to touch on what Jackson's saying is when you're 60, all of a sudden you realize maybe you don't have no money. And I think a lot of people in their 20s or even in their 30s or 40s, they think about retirement, but they don't take it seriously. They don't think about putting an extra amount of money. So when they retire, they do have enough. And, and you do see people out there who are older, who are more elderly, who are still forced to work as a result because they didn't save enough when they were younger. Yeah, it happens a ton. It's very common. So going off that question of how much do I need to save for retirement? Let's say maybe I have $100,000 already saved for retirement. I'm just keeping it here in my checking account. Is that kind of the best place to leave it? Or how would you go about recommending somebody handle their retirement money that they're saving up? So no, a savings account would not be the best place for a retirement fund because it's not growing. You'd be getting a very, very minute percentage per year um, on that $100,000. The best thing you could do is invest it and let it grow. Because if it's growing, you're obviously increasing the value of it. You can take advantage of compound interest and you increase your buying power on the money. If you just leave it in a checking or a savings account, it's actually getting less valuable every year as inflation increases and takes place in, in society because things get ex more expensive every year. And if your money is sitting stagnant, those dollars are worth less to you in 10 years than they were in the present. 
Okay. So Jackson, you, you mentioned about not putting your money and leaving it into a saving account. So what are different accounts? And if you can maybe break down retirement accounts that people can put their money in. Sure. So the most common one is an RSP. So, well, that's really the only one someone, if they're contributing out of pocket that you would want to put it into outside of a TFSA, but if we're talking strictly like retirement accounts, so an RSP, it's a registered retirement savings plan. The benefit of an RSP is you get a tax deduction when you put money in the account. So if you make $50,000 and you put $5,000 into an RSP account, you get a $5,000 tax deduction. So your taxable income would fall from 50,000 to 45,000. So that $5,000 contribution is just subtracted off your taxable income. Uh, And then it grows tax deferred. So the whole point of an RSP is to contribute to it in your higher income earning years when you're in a higher tax bracket, as we discussed in the last episode, and then pull it out when you're retired and no longer working a job, making as high of an income and hopefully pulling it out at a lower tax bracket. So you'd pay less tax on the money and then take advantage of the time value of money and letting it grow all those years as well. So if I have a RSP, can I just contribute as much as I want to it? Or is there a certain amount? And is there a time when I have to stop contributing to it? Or can I just contribute to it for the rest of my life? So your limits would change person to person. It is not like concrete in terms of a dollar amount. It is 18% of the previous year's earned income. So anyone listening for every year that you've been working, you've been accumulating RSP room, assuming you file your taxes. So you likely have room already accumulated. You can check your notice of assessment or go on a CRA login to find out what your room actually is, but you accumulate room every year as per 18% of your last year's earned income. So once you are 71, it has to be converted into what's called a RIF by the end of that calendar year. So basically what that means is you're done contributing for the rest of your life and you have to start taking a minimum percentage of the money out every year to spend, or you could then reinvest it into another investment account, but that's the way it works. So at work, I've got what's called an RPP. Is that different from an RSP? Are they related at all or? So they are different. An RPP is administered by an employer. So you would obviously get a likely an employer match. So the employee say contributes 5% and the employer matches the 5%. So you wouldn't get that in an RSP. However, there are some employers that offer group RSPs where they will match the individual's RSP contribution to a certain percentage, but the employer contribution wouldn't be tax deductible to the employee. Uh, Jackson, just correct me if I'm wrong here. Mm-hmm. An RSP is just like a TFSA, it's an account. And for listeners out there who don't know, you can open, last episode we talked about uh, a mutual fund and how you invest in a mutual fund or different stocks or, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can have a mutual fund underneath an RSP so you can invest your money into an investment underneath the retirement plan, correct? Yeah. So you can hold anything you want inside an RSP. You could hold a mutual fund, an ETF, a stock. It's totally up to you. Mm-hmm. But yes, the RSP is simply an account that can house investments with different tax privileges, right? So you get the tax deduction once the cash goes into the account. What you do with the cash in the account is your own choice. Okay. And then so if we're talking about retirement accounts specifically, 
what do you recommend people put underneath the retirement account? Like we mentioned earlier, we don't want to just put it into like an RSP, but with just in a regular savings account under it. So right. would you recommend people have a higher risk mutual fund? I mean, this is so dependent on certain individuals, but what would mm-hmm. you say the most ideal fund that you would prefer or a specific investment that you think as an advisor yourself, what that you would advise people that would be the best for something that's going to be in there for say 25, 30, 40 years, depending on how old the individual is. Yeah. So again, depending on risk tolerance, it obviously changes individual to individual, but when you're looking at a long time horizon, if you can handle the volatility, something with a lot of equity exposure is the most advantageous as any market history would tell you. So that may mean buying a mutual fund or an ETF with 100% stock exposure Maybe it means buying some stocks. I don't know. Uh, it would depend on the individual. I would tend to push people towards something diversified, like a mutual fund or an ETF. Again, depends on the individual, what their preference would be. But buying something diversified like that is the best thing you can do. And just getting yourself the equity exposure, because over time, that's what's going to get you the most gain in terms of an and, asset. And mm. does an individual's age play a factor at all in what you determine they should be investing in or just that's kind of more or less a universal recommendation? No age 100% factors into that. So the closer you get to retirement, the more you want to scale down your volatility and risk because you want the principal amount to be there. That's why I'm saying like, if it's 25 years to retirement, you'll go through like multiple market, full market cycles through that time period. So if you're willing to just sit on the money and let it be like, that's the best thing you can do and have it in something that's probably a bit more volatile because that's where more growth is going to come from. Right, right. So you may be able to take advantage of one or two uh, 2008 economic market crashes and watch things go down, but then spike right back up after, right? Yeah, just like COVID, right? I hope we never have a financial meltdown again like we did in 2008. (laughs) But I mean, no one saw the COVID-19 pandemic coming, right? It's a totally unforeseen event and yeah. caused a ton of market volatility. And that was a great buying window for people. Yeah. So uh, Jackson, what would you say to people who would argue that taxes never go down usually? So let's say if I put my money in now into an RSP and 30 years from now on, you, know, you don't know what taxes is going to be like 30 years from now on, but I think people would argue that it would probably be higher than what it is today in 2020. What would you say to people that say that? I would say I don't have a crystal ball, so I have no idea what taxes are going to be in 30 years. I think it's pretty safe to say in Canada, we're going to see some tax hikes here just with how much the government's been spending and giving out. I think that's inevitable. So that should be expected in the coming years for us to see personal income tax brackets increase. However, that's something you can't plan for. You have to understand that with any plan, things change all the time. Tax rates will change with different governments being in power. All you can do is take into account the information we have today and plan accordingly and give yourself the wiggle room to make the appropriate adjustments as things change. And that's another great reason to work with an informed advisor who's paying attention to all that stuff for you because there's a lot of stuff that's changing all the time. Yeah. So just to go back to, you mentioned about how there is a lot of volatility in the markets. So when you experience that, actually, let me just take us to right now, COVID. Mm -hmm. Lots of volatility. What did you do for your clients when things started crashing? 
What did yeah. you do for them? What did you tell them? How did you help them handle it, get through it? Mm -hmm. So basically from day one on the job, I knew we were overdue for some type of correction. So I had been saying for the last couple of years, like, hey, I have no idea what's going to happen, but there's a good chance we're going to get some type of significant market pullback because the last 10 years, markets have essentially just went up. Not exactly, but it, markets have been very, very strong the last 10 years, like uh, leading up to COVID. So when it actually happened, a lot of my clients were completely blindsided by it because I had kind of forewarned that something was going to happen. Obviously, I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I didn't know it was going to be COVID into that severity because we had the steepest drop off from peak to trough, like in the shortest amount of time ever in the market. So I definitely didn't see that coming. But in terms of what I was telling people to do, I was telling them to buy more of what they owned and increase. Even though, even though everything was crashing. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're in diversified product, market crashing isn't overly scary to me because you're spread across so many different companies that well, one, the likelihood of big companies going bankrupt is relatively low. And all a lot of the big companies, like they're equipped to handle scenarios like that, right? right. So being diversified just helps mitigate the risk of you losing all of your money, I guess. So when it's going down, it's a paper loss. You're not realizing the loss unless you sell everything. So obviously anyone who's considering selling, just explaining to them the way market cycles work. Like we go through expansions, we go through recessions. That's the way it goes. Like to have another expansion, we have to go through this. So right. it's a natural part of investing. If you can't handle it, you're probably better off in GICs or something like that because you're going to be pulling your hair out whenever there's volatility. But if you can learn to understand or cope with it or just trust someone to look over it for you, the best thing you can do during times like COVID are continue to just buy. Buy what you own, average down, everything's on sale, right? Now, going back to RSPs, would it make more sense to max out your RSP or your TFSA first? That would be case by case. I would say usually it's kind of a blend of the two are good. But I mean, if someone's making a really high income, getting the full RSP contribution usually makes sense because they can get so much money back. Yeah, no, that's good. So Jackson, if we look at retirement in general, just like investment, you mentioned earlier to start thinking about retirement early. If mm -hmm. someone is graduating high school right now, would you say the same thing to them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think more than like hammering home retirement to someone that young, I think you talk more just about the value of investing and why it's important. Because mm -hmm. even for me, like I'm not a homeowner yet. So right now I'm going to make a large capital purchase before I save all of my money for retirement, right? Like I'm saving for a down payment on a house. Yeah. So once I do that, a large chunk of my money is going to go to just retirement savings. But for now, I do a little bit of a blend, but most of it is going towards a house down payment, right? So that's an asset and something that will hopefully retain and increase in value. It's an investment in itself. I mean, the life stages of investors kind of dictate what the money will be used for, I guess. Like once you're kind of out of the home buyer, like I guess kind of the seed money stage almost where you're saving money for a bunch of purchases, like maybe that's a car, a wedding, a house, like all of the things that can kind of happen in your 20s and 30s. Once you're out of that stage, you should really be keying in on saving for retirement. But I think leading up to that point, you should still have some money set aside just for retirement and that you will not touch for home renovations or for down payment on a house, like separate the two. Again, you can talk with an advisor to figure out like what 
kind of mix makes the most sense for you, but maybe you can figure that out on your own. I don't know. So then when should someone like a young person start an RSP account? So you can theoretically start contributing to an RSP account whenever you have room. It doesn't really make sense when you're not making that much money just because the tax benefit isn't really there. There's not like a perfect income where it's like, oh, now you need to start contributing to an RSP. But again, I think it's a good thing to talk to your advisor about to figure out if that makes sense for you because maybe you're getting a huge pension match at work and don't need to contribute that much to an RSP because 16 of your 18% is being used there. So <laughs> fair enough. You're better off in a TFSA, right? Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. So Jackson, I want to thank you so much again on behalf of financial classroom. Um, Tim and I want to thank you again for coming on with us today. It's always a blast talking to you, whether it's recording a podcast or not recording a podcast. And I feel like someone who has so much knowledge in finances and, and I think people don't realize that with Tim doing taxes and you doing finance stuff, there's a two complete different world. And mm-hmm. I think people maybe don't realize that finances are, there's so many different rabbit trails or that it can go to. And so it's cool to listen from someone who does finance on a regular basis every single day and just to learn from you. It's, it's, it was a blast. For sure. Yeah, I know. And I want to say to your listeners, like Will and Tim are great examples of what it means to be financially responsible. Obviously, I know their situations both really well. So they walk the talk, like everything they're telling you to do, they do in their own lives. They're both extremely financially responsible and are in very, very good spots. So I mean, they're great people to learn from and listen to. So I think it's awesome that you guys are doing this and imparting your wisdom to the listeners. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, so for listeners out there, Jackson is certified in Canada as an advisor, financial advisor. And this is for all of Canada. He's based in Saskatchewan, but he can be a financial advisor for BC, Alberta, Ontario, etc. So if you have questions or if you want to just have a meeting or a reference, talk to Jackson feel free to give us a a shout and we can get you guys connected. You can email us at financialclassroom at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at the financial podcast and as well as on Instagram financial classroom. So if you want an advisor, if you're looking for one, feel free to reach out again. And is there anything else, Tim or Jackson, you'd like to say? Yeah. I'd just like to say that retirement is really, really big deal. You don't want to mess around with it. You know, whether it's finding financial advisor, a wealth advisor, or somebody who's just really knowledgeable in terms of finances, it's it's just so important to have somebody like that in your corner, somebody you can talk to about that, because it's something you really, really do not want to mess up on. Yeah, that's why I've got Jackson in my corner. I know he's going <laughs> to look after my finances for me he's going to tell me if i'm if i'm not on track to be able to retire so other than that thank you again so much for coming on we hope to have you on more down the road if you want to listen to jackson's previous podcast it's about investment check it out and we learned a lot there too other than that feel free to leave a comment subscribe thanks for listening guys take care Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, 
the Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.